Thank you, uh, Dave, and uh, thank you, Mosaic. It's, it's good to be back. It's, uh, I know some of you um, may not recognize me, um, but for hopefully some of you, you, you do recognize me, and it, it, for that reason, it, it, it is good to be back. Uh, it's also fitting, I think, that our sermon series is on Psalms and this theme of reconnecting. Uh, I think for me, this is a moment of sort of reconnecting uh, with all of you as well. Uh, and uh, John, could we just get the the screen flips so that I could see the, the slides. Um, it has been a while um, since I've been back. And, you know, it, it's weird because even in our world, a year ago feels like a decade, right? Because so much has changed. So much has been shifting uh, in our world to be able to adjust to the new reality post-COVID. Uh, one of those things is seeing movies in theaters. How many of you have seen, after COVID, have seen a movie in a theater? Okay, yeah, a good handful of you. I remember back when, you know, like a year ago, no movie would launch in the theaters without also launching on streaming. But now, you actually, there are some movies that you can only see in theaters, and that's like offensive to me that you're like making me leave my house to see this movie. Like, that's not the way that, you know, I thought we got into this full streaming idea. Well, one, on this theme of movies, I want to begin our sermon uh, doing a little exercise. It's a little quiz, a little fun quiz for you. So I'm going to tell you the plot of a movie, a simple movie. It's a very popular movie uh, that you probably have all seen. I'm going to tell you the plot, and you're going to guess what movie it is. Very simple. Okay, so the first one is where that psychologist is counseling a patient despite a growing distance in his marriage. Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. You guys seen that? Yeah. Psychologist, the growing distance in his marriage. Okay. Um, all right, we'll do the second one. The second one, second one's a little bit easier. Okay. A ruthless and bitter guy goes on a quest to find some gems. Avengers Infinity War. Avengers Affinity War. Ruthless guy goes on a quest to find some gems. All right. You guys are really bad at this game. Let's just do one more. A son struggles to deal with the death of his father. Clearly, Lion King. <laughs> you guys are really bad at this game, and I don't know why, but you're probably sitting there going, I don't know that he's seen those movies, right? I don't know, or at least maybe he didn't stay all the way to the end, because the reality is those the plots of those movies, what I'm saying here is only really a very small sliver of that story. I'm only giving you just a piece of the story, even half of the story. And so I can't expect you to guess what movie I'm talking about if I'm not giving you the full story of that movie. Well, what is true of a Marvel movie is also true of the gospel of God. If we only understand half of the story of the gospel then how are we going to know the full heart of God? Now, when I say the word gospel, what I mean is it's actually just translated as good news. And so when we say good news, really, we're just talking about the message of Christ's salvation to the world, about how God has sent Jesus to us and renewed in us our relationship. So this is when I say the word gospel. That's really what I'm talking about. And so how can we understand the fullness of God, the fullness of the gospel, if we're only telling half of the story? You see, 
if I took a microphone and I passed it around to each one of you, and I said, tell me what the gospel is, I would imagine that out of all the myriad answers, we would sort of be able to fall into, I think, two different camps. You would basically talk about two different things. You would talk about the sin of man and the fall of man, where sin entered the world and, and depravity and and I think we would talk about rebellion and, and these things. And I think we could categorize this as, as fall. But then you would talk about the good news of, of redemption, of, the God's, of God's grace through Jesus Christ on the cross. And we would talk about the redemption and eternal life that is found in Jesus. And I, I would think that most of us basically would be communicating this idea of fall and redemption. Fall and redemption. I think that that's essentially where we would find the buckets of the gospel. But see, I don't need to pull the room, not only because it would take too long, but I don't need to pull the room because I lived that fallen redemption narrative. I grew up in the church. I led people in the church. I went to seminary to gain the credentials to pastor a church. And I went on to a 20-year career in the church and I taught these passages on fall and redemption. I taught Colossians 1, 21 and 22, which says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Alienated from God, enemies in your mind, evil behavior. That's the fall. But he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. We see redemption. We read Colossians 1 and we see fall and redemption. I also preach passages like Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 4, which say, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Fall. But because of his great love for us in God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. This is fall and redemption. I've taught these passages. You have read these passages. Some of you have inscribed them on post-it notes and hang them on your bathroom mirror because you want to be reminded of the fall and the redemption that has been given to us. Now, friends, I am not saying that fall and redemption are not part of the gospel. I'm not saying that fall and redemption are not good news. I'm not saying that fall and redemption are not important for us to understand about the gospel. What I am saying is it's half the story. We want to look today at the full story of the gospel. You see, if we're only looking at half of the story of the gospel then we're not, we're missing out on the fullness of God. We're missing out on the fullness of the love of God and the purpose of God and the gospel of God in our lives. So you see, the Bible doesn't begin in Genesis chapter three with the fall of man, right? Where sin enters the world. The Bible actually starts in Genesis one. What do we see in Genesis one? It's not a trick question. What do we see? We see creation, right? We see creation in Genesis chapter one. And so when we look at this idea of, gen of, of creation in Genesis, we see that we're part of God's good creation. God spoke 
and light came to be, and he called it good. God spoke and created land and water, and he called it good. God spoke, and the land produced vegetation, and the trees, and the fruit, and God called it good. God spoke, and the sun, the moon, and the stars came into existence, and God called it good. God spoke and created the fish, and the birds, and the, the, the animals that crawl along the ground, and God saw it and called it good. But when God wanted to create the first human being, he did not just speak. He handcrafted. The word is sculpted us out of the dirt. God didn't just speak. He handcrafted us. And if Etsy has taught us anything, that there's a significant markup for handcrafted, right? God, I mean, this is the picture, right? Like God is just kind of reclining and just being like light and trees and birds and animals and sun and stars. And, but when he, when he wants to create us, he picks up the dirt and he, he crafts us by hand. And when he looks at everything, he says, this is good, this is good, this is good. But when he sees us, he says, this is very good. There is an intimacy that God has created us with handcrafted, deemed very good. And so the significance of understanding this idea of creation should be an encouragement for all of you that you are deemed very good by the God of the universe, that you were handcrafted, not just spoken, but handcrafted. But that's not all that we were created to do. You see, when God created male and female, when God created Adam and Eve, he put them to work. He put them to work. In fact, God put Adam and Eve in a garden on the earth and put them to work, to work it, to rule over it, and to care for it. And so understand this. God's original creation, God's original intended purpose for humanity was to work. And that work was to cultivate the earth, to ensure that the world and this earth is right and good and just. And so our responsibility from the moment of creation was to work on this earth to make it good. Now, I don't know how your relationship with that word work is right now. Maybe you had a bad week. Maybe you're going to have a, a rough week. Maybe all of us say, you know, I don't know about feeling good about being made to work whether you're talking about homework or schoolwork or job work or housework, I don't enjoy work. But understand this, that, that the original creation that God created us was involving that idea of work. But you say, I thought work was part of the fall. Like that was the punishment of the fall. Actually, the, the curse of Genesis 3 after the fall was toilsome work. And so actually, maybe the toil that you feel in your work is a result of the fall. But work itself is part of the original creation of God, which is why I believe that when we get to heaven, we will not just be standing around and worshiping and singing songs. We will be working because it's part of the original created order that God intends for us to work, to work it, rule over it, and care for it. So our God-ordained purpose from the very beginning of creation was to care for and cultivate the earth. In other words, we are not just meant to be consumers of society, 
but we are meant to be cultivators, creators, curators of society. The ones who improve and develop and nurture society. Cultivators, not just consumers. So if we understand creation and how creation fits into the full story of the gospel, then we understand our responsibility in, in, in the work of cultivating, caring for, nurturing the world and society. So when you understand where we have started, when you understand creation as the beginning of the story of the gospel, then you can better appreciate the fall. You see, the fall is not just an individual violation of a personal code of conduct. The fall is not just an isolated, narrow scope infraction of my responsibility of the best practices of being a Christian. No, you see, the fall, once you understand creation, you recognize if this was what God's original created order was for humanity, to care for and nurture and cultivate the world to make it good and right and just, then the fall is not just my individual sins and times, you know, I get a little too angry or sleep through my quiet time, but the fall is a fundamental violation of the created order. The fall is a vast upheaval of what God intends for the purpose of humanity. The fall of humankind is no longer living for what we were created to do. To make things right in the world. And so with just a half story view of the gospel, we begin to think that the fall is just about the, the sins that I commit, the bad things that I do, that I give in anger too much, or I have too much jealousy, or too much pride, or too much lust, or too much hatred. But when we understand creation and put the fall in the context of creation, we see the establishment of humanity's place in the world order, the God's created order, to work to make things right. And the fall is the inversion of that. The fall is not just about the individual violation of the sin, sin the, the code of conduct. Not any more than Infinity Wars about a guy looking for some gems. We have to talk about the fall in the context of creation as well. So when you talk about fall and redemption, this half story that we were talking about earlier, this fall and redemption half story narrative, you begin to see how creation fits into fall and redemption. No, I actually don't have time to talk about fall and redemption in depth. I don't have time to, in this sermon to go in depth about fall and redemption. And the reality is I don't need to. Because if we went to YouTube and we searched for a sermon about the cross or a sermon about the gospel, chances are it's going to focus on fall and redemption. Because I preach those sermons. We've heard those sermons. We live those sermons. That's the Bible that we've read. Fall and redemption. But what is important for us is to realize that the gospel is not just fall and redemption. Now, I say again, I am not saying that fall and redemption do not matter, okay? Let me, I am not saying fall and redemption do not matter. I'm saying fall and redemption are not the only things that matter. So 
creation, we were created good, handcrafted, deemed very good, tasked with cultivating righteousness, goodness, and justice in the world. Fall is the introduction of sin and the upheaval of that created order. So then how does this help us understand redemption? Jesus's death on the cross. You see, a half-story understanding of redemption says, well, Jesus died for me. If the fall is the sins that I commit, Jesus's redemption, Jesus coming to earth, dying on a cross was for me. So Jesus is saying, you know what, Richard? I got you. I'm gonna die for your sins. And so you know what? Just, just try a little harder, right? You know, avoid these little sins that you do. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's not true. I'm not saying that Jesus's death on the cross didn't pay for my sins, doesn't pay for your sins. What I'm saying is, if we only have a half-story understanding of redemption, then we begin to think that that's all it's about. I can't just look at Jesus' death on the cross and just be like, you know, now I could just go about my life and live without fear of punishment of my sins. Instead, I think Jesus is saying, I want to make things right again in this world. I want to reestablish the purpose of why you were created. I'm gonna make things good and right and just in this world, and I want to use you to do it. Redemption is a realignment of how we live. It's a restoration of the created world order. In, in other words, redemption ushers in a renewal of purpose, a renewal of purpose. This is the fourth part of this full story. Redemption is not just to get rid of the sins that you've committed, but it is also reinstituting, realigning you with the purpose of renewal in this world. And so re redemption is not just saved from the fall, but for renewal. It's not just redemption from your individual sins, but it's redemption for a purpose and living out that renewal in the world. We're not just redeemed just not to sin, we're redeemed for the work of renewal. So this is the full story for us of the gospel. Creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. We need to understand that redemption is not just a get out of sin card, right? A get out of jail free card, where it's just like, you know what? You sin, well, there you go. Apply the redemption to you and you're all good. No, 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 the redemption says, I'm gonna reclaim the purpose of your existence back to the original created order. This original uh, intention and purpose of humanity, which was upheaved in the fall, is now gonna be reclaimed through the death of Jesus on the cross, wiping away the sins that get in the way, but I'm gonna set you aside and realign your life for a renewal of what God intends for this world. In other words, I want you to stop sinning, yes, but I also want you to work for and rule over and care for this world, to cultivate, to make things right in the world. A half-story view of the gospel just says, well, I'm just getting out of my sins. 
But a full view of scripture shows us that it's a renewal of the very reason why we live. Is it any wonder that the first two chapters of the Bible, the the chapters on creation, put human beings in a garden on the earth and task them with making things right? Right? First two chapters, human beings in a garden on the earth say, make things right. And then the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, the chapters on renewal put human beings back in a garden, on a new earth, having done the work of making things right. They're bookends of the story of renewal. Pastor and theologian Tim Keller says this about Revelation 21 and 22. It says, it makes it clear that the ultimate purpose of redemption is not to escape the material world, but to renew it. God's purpose is not only saving individuals, but also inaugurating a new world based on justice, peace, and love. And what's frustrating is that what takes me 30 minutes, he says in two sentences. So if you don't believe me, you can believe him. We're not just saved to escape the material world. We have been set aside to inaugurate a world of justice, peace, and love. A world of renewed love from God. Have you ever wondered why at the moment of salvation for you, at the moment of redemption from your sins, that you aren't just taken up into heaven? Have uh, you ever wondered why in baptism that when you, when, you, when you put the person down and they don't just keep floating up? What, why are we left here on the earth? If our purpose was to escape from our sins, then you would see a lot of people floating up after baptism. Is it rather because God intends not just to save us from our sins, but save us for the work of renewal as well? It is the full story. So don't make the mistake that creation is only found in the first two chapters and renewal is only found in the last two chapters because if we understand the full story of the gospel, we begin to see creation and renewal in the passages around fallen redemption as well. So you remember Colossians 1 that I was preaching from before once you were alienated from God, enemies and evil behavior, right? And, and uh, present you holy without blemish, free from accusation. Well, you put Colossians 1, 21 and 22 in a broader context. The four verses prior to Colossians 1, 21 says this, for in Christ, all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. In verse 19, it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. To reconcile all things to himself. The fall and redemption comes in the context of creation and renewal. Well, how about Ephesians chapter two, right? You were dead in your transgressions and sins, but his great love, rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Well, in the the full story of the gospel, we see verses one and four in Ephesians two in the full context of verses eight, nine, and 10, which says this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's 
handiwork, handcrafted. We were sculpted by God. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you see, Ephesians 2 is like, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, but God made us alive in Christ Jesus because that's what he created us to do. He's reestablishing the handiwork that God wants for us to do, which God prepared in advance all the way in the beginning God created us to do this work of renewal. And so though we fall and receive this redemption, understand we are now made to do this work of reconciling all things to himself. The reason we have been saved by grace is not just saved from our sins, but for the work of renewal. The full story of the gospel, creation, fall, redemption, renewal, tells us about the purpose of our life, realigns our life to make things right again. Jesus says, I'm gonna reestablish, realign your life with the original purpose for you to renew things to me. Now, this has a lot of repercussions in our life. You know, one of the things, one of the ramifications of this, I think, is the idea of beauty, right? When we, when we look around this world and when we beautify things in this world, I think that's the work of renewal. When you think about peace, establishing peace in places of war or of anger, I think that that's a work of renewal. At 1.30 today, there's going to be work of renewal when you go to Buckingham, my, my wife and, and kids, we've gone to Buckingham uh, before and, you know, the, it's the work of renewal. And I, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I've gone with them and there are some times where I'm sitting there going, what am I doing here? I mean, they, they don't remember me. They, they may, maybe some, can, some of them can't hear me. And so like, it's kind of like, I don't know that I'm using my time so wisely right now. But that doesn't understand the work of renewal. That doesn't understand that, that, that making things good and right and just again in the world. When our friend, when our pastor has a younger daughter who is in Argentina, the work of prayer is the work of renewal. We are engaging in the work of renewal. Nobody sat here and said, well, I mean, you know, I mean, Dave's saved and, and he may saved and, you know, I mean, hopefully Sophia's saved and, you know, something like, why pray? No, no, we're praying, we're on our knees, we're saying, God, heal her because we want things to be right and good and just in the world. And so our prayers and our volunteering and our action toward peace and justice in the world are part of this work of renewal. I spoke with someone at the earlier service who has recently joined the Board of Ed in her town. And she said, I never had words to put to it, but that's the work of renewal. I'm advocating for people in my town who are underrepresented, and so that's the work of renewal. This is why when we hear a story about violence or assault, when you hear stories about the rise of anti-Asian hate in the world, and you see another video of a senseless attack on a vulnerable adult, there's something in you that doesn't sit right. 
There's something in you that, that punches you in the gut, that aches in your stomach and says, that is not right. None of us watch these videos and go, well, look at that display of an individual sin. No, no, no. We say, this violates how things should be. And so we speak up, we stand up, we speak out. This is a fundamental violation of what God had created the world to be. And so we as Christians must be the ones to be on the side of justice and to speak out against oppressors. And when we do that, it feels right. It feels like things are aligned. It feels like at the end of that Marvel movie where the good guys win and it's like soft focus, you know, fade to black and roll the credits. It's like the movie has ended. Things are good in the world. The work of renewal is making things right as God intended them to be. Psalm 11 Verses seven and eight says this, the work of his hands are faithful and just and all his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever enacted in faithfulness and uprightness. We are renewing the things that God created them to be because God is upright and God is faithful and God is just. I work for a global justice organization, as Pastor Dave mentioned, International Justice Mission. We work on the front lines of putting an end to slavery and violence against women and children around the world. And something feels right when I see stories of my colleagues who are going into brothels and going into factories and, and rescuing children off of a lake from slavery. Something feels right about that because it is engaging in the work of renewal. And sadly, as I've gone around and preached to different churches all across the nation, I have seen Christians and leaders and, and sadly, even pastors who question the very notion of the work of justice. So I'll tell you this one story. I was, I was preaching in, in, uh, in Long Island to a group of about 35 pastors and I was communicating this, this uh, um, message of justice. And there was one person in the back who when asked to pray for our organization, to, to pray for those that we serve, the, the 50 million people around the world that are enslaved right now, that person stayed in their seats and refused to pray because he had asked the question, well, do you preach the gospel? Do you preach redemption and salvation of their souls? And so when it was time to pray for those that are suffering and pray for our organization. He refused to pray for the earthly freedom of people trapped in slavery just because he only valued their eternal salvation. I mean, this feels like a half story of the gospel, doesn't it? That all I care about is getting them into heaven that he could see a boy enslaved on a boat, a girl in a brothel, a family in a factory, and all crying out for justice, crying out for someone to make things right in the world and that he can only see value in their fall and redemption and not in the full story of the gospel. I've met far too many Christians that are too comfortable in saying, in a sense, what good is justice and mercy just focus on their salvation. In a sense, he's saying, what good is freeing someone from slavery 
if you don't preach redemption? I think the full story of the gospel actually asks the inverse question. It's not, what good is freeing someone from slavery if you don't preach redemption? I think it asks, what good is preaching redemption if you do not also step up and free that person from slavery? What good is just preaching redemption if you don't engage in the work of renewal? Far too many Christians stop at redemption and don't engage in the work of making things good and right and just in the world. How could I preach Jesus for their, as their savior for their spiritual life if he cares nothing about their physical life? Isn't this what Jesus talks about in the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, where he says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you did for me. And then in verse 45, it says, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. It is not one or the other. It is a commitment to both, a commitment to the fullness of the story of the gospel. Friends, we must be people of goodness and justice and peace. We must be people of renewal because it's the establishment of what God intended us to be, that we messed up in the fall and has been reclaimed through Jesus' death on the cross. We must be people who take that gospel into the places to the people that need to hear it. Allow us to be the people of goodness and righteousness and justice today to live out not the half story of the gospel, but the full story of the gospel to the people who need to meet this God themselves. Let's pray.